The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I'm your host as always, Damon Martin. I am joined as always by UFC legend, Matt Brown. Matt, it's uh, Thanksgiving week. Uh, big plans for the, uh, for the holiday. Mm, you know me, man. I, I'm not a big Turkey guy. We're getting steak again this year. Fuck. Fuck the damn Turkey, bro. I'm, I'm every year I make a call for it. Can we just start a revolution? Let's get rid of the damn Turkey. Let's get rid of all the mashed potatoes that you can eat any day of the week. Green beans. Who wants green beans? <laughs> Who even wants cranberry? Like, if it was that good, why is it not down at the store right now? Like, why can't you just go buy it at the store if it's so good? <laughs> That's true. That's true. I do yeah. like stuffing, though. Stuffing's good. You got to admit, stuffing's good. It, well, stuffing happens to be on the shelves. 365 days a year. <laughs> I would take a steak over turkey any day. I'll, I'll I'll say the same thing. I don't mind turkey, but I would definitely take steak over turkey any day of the week. Yeah, I don't I don't really have like big plans or anything. Working, we got home and then working the PFL championship the next day. So you know, pretty much status quo around here. Not not, not really big celebration around these parts. Yeah, that's got to suck for the fighters, right? Like cutting weight on Thanksgiving. Yeah, dude, that's that's rough. Well, I mentioned the PFL uh, PFL finals on Friday, so obviously let's just get into it. The big news of the day: PFL has officially purchased Bellator MMA. One of the two, the two secondary biggest MMA organizations have now combined into one. Um, they basically said that Bellator is going to continue running as its own operation for eight events next year. I feel like there's, I don't know the true behind the scenes story. I feel like there's got to be like some sort of contractual thing in there where they had to continue doing events, but whatever they're doing events. 
but they're going to do PFL versus Bellator champions in early 2024, which should be fun. Uh, get you know, obviously a much bigger roster of fighters. Bellator, excuse me, PFL doesn't even have a bantamweight or middleweight division, which I would argue are two of the better divisions in Bellator. Um, but yeah, so big shift here, Matt. Thoughts on um, PFL buying Bellator? I think it's cool, man. I think it's good for the sport. I think, um, you know, it, it's just cool that, you know, they're making moves, man. They're coming up and doing good things. Both of them seem like good organizations. I don't know if, um, I, I just, you know, it's just hard to believe they're ever going to compete with the UFC. So it's great to have a, something else out there that's still a good quality product and there's something that's going to give the fans, you know, something else to watch, right? Like, you know, there's, I was trying to think of a comparison of sports, but there really isn't one, you know, like, yeah. like, like if NFL is NFL, MLB is MLB, there's, there's nothing else. I mean, I guess with racing, you got like F1 and NASCAR and <laughs> no one yeah. in America seems to like F1. <laughs> <laughs> so you said something there and I was going to, I was going to ask about this anyways, but let's just get into it because everyone's going to be like, Oh man, you're going right on a negative spin, but I got to bring this up. PFL and Bell Bellator, joining together to me makes them the clear cut number two in the sport, right? Yeah. Like they, they are Don Davis, the PFL owner or founder, I should say who I like. I like Don. I've interviewed him before type message him back and forth on, on Twitter. Don't have no problem with Don. One of the things he said today, he did uh, Ariel Hawani's show and he said something to the effect of, you know, we are now the, the, the co-leader, you know, basically it's the UFC and it's PFL and you know, Dana White doesn't worry about anything, but now you can tell he's worried about PFL. And I'm like, Don, I appreciate what you're doing. And I think what you guys are doing is awesome. Keep doing it, but don't poke the bear. Like Dana's not worried about you. That's not an offense. Yeah. Dana doesn't give a single solitary shit about what the PFL is doing. The, 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 he didn't fear the PFL. He didn't fear Bellator. He didn't fear Strikeforce. He didn't fear WEC. He didn't fear any of them. All you're doing is poking the bear because then you're going to get Dana to react and he's going to eviscerate you. So let's just like not, don't go down that road, Don, because we know how that game ends. You're probably going to lose. Yeah, well, that's it. He's trying to get Dana to react, I'm guessing, to get clicks or views or more eyes on it. And Dana probably won't even react. Like, it, it doesn't. It, it is completely irrelevant, right? Like, there's if, – if I go to the Walmart and, you know, someone recognizes me and, you know, their, their brother asks who I am or their sister asks who I am or something, they'll say, oh, he's an ultimate fighter, right? They don't say he's an MMA fighter. He's an <laughs> ultimate fighter. You know, it's like a Kleenex or a or a Q-tip, right? Like, that's just what it is. UFC owns the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, th there's a place. I mean, I'm glad that PFL succeeds, and I'm I hope they find nothing but success. But you're not going to be. You're not the co-leader. You're not like I don't know. I've I've rarely talked to anyone outside of the MMA bubble, like the you know the the people who are into the sport, like the bubble. Like when I have friends who are not into the sport, reach out to me. It's usually because they're like, oh, Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey or yeah. Anderson Silva or Adesanya or you know big fights like that in Ghana, whatever it was at the time, John Jones, whatever. I have never, and this is I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying like I've never had any casual friend reach out and be like man did you see that pfl card on friday right 
it's, I mean, and that's not a knockout. The UFC is the biggest. They're always going to be the biggest. They're a juggernaut. I just don't, like, it's such a, it's such a, here's the thing. You're right. You're saying it to get attention. I get it. Like, they're saying it to get attention, to get a reaction. I understand that. But what you're forcing me to do by doing that is telling you the honest truth, which is you're not a threat to the UFC. They don't care. Dana White does not care that you just bought Bellator. He does not give a single solitary shit that you teamed up with Bellator. Like, I don't know why you make me do this, PFL. Like, I like you. Stop making me just point out the facts, which is you're not not the co-leader. You're not in the same stratosphere as the UFC. Do you want me to really really pummel him down to the ground here, Matt? Do you want me to really tell the honest truth? There's one, one mixed martial arts promotion on earth, one, that turns a profit. (laughs) Do you want to know which one that is? The UFC. Then they turn a large profit. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's not co-leader. It's like, it's number one in a distant second place, right? That's what it is. UFC is synonymous with cage fighting, period. Yeah. I just like, I just, and I listen, you know, Dana probably even better than I do, but I've known Dana for a lot of years, interviewed Dana many, many times. Dana doesn't see this as a threat. He just doesn't. No. He doesn't well, care. Dana's also the president and, only owns what 10 percent share now right yeah something like that yes uh, why would he way. care yeah but even even if he didn't even if he owned 100 percent of it, he wouldn't care like what is it like right dana if, if there's a threat to dana's business it's the antitrust lawsuit that's a threat to the business the pfl buying bellator is not a blip on his radar like it's not like it's not like they raided the UFC's closet and signed away Adesanya Jones and like you know they they right, raided right. the they raided the best fighters in the world. That's not happening well, that's here. When, when you talk about the antitrust suit, um, I, I don't understand it as well as most people probably or you probably do. But from what I understand, the real threat, like the billions of dollars, is obviously a threat. Like it's billions of dollars that sucks. But um, from what I understand, it could potentially change contracts in the future, have um, short contracts. It'd be more like a boxing model is what I'm guessing. And that would be, like you said, that would be a real threat to the UFC at that point. Well, that's also a threat to the PFL for that matter. I mean, that's like, you know, that that would, that would pretty much, you know. I mean, yeah. Whoever brings in the money, right. (laughs) That's who's going to win that. Whoever brings the most money right now. TKO, UFC, Endeavor, all them, they got the most money. So even that wouldn't be a gigantic threat for the biggest fights. It's just a matter of, you know, who's going to bring in some more money. Yeah, but I mean, that is something that could cause a ripple in the UFC's business. The PFL combining with Bellator does not because the PFL didn't chip away at the UFC's bottom. I mean, I've said this. On, the, on our podcast, I've said on other podcasts, I've said in articles, the UFC is such a machine now that Conor McGregor hasn't fought since 2021, and then 2022 and 2023 are going to be two of the most profitable revenue-earning years in UFC history. Um, they're about to do a new broadcast deal next year, whether it's ESPN or whoever else ends up getting the, the rights. That's going to be a monumentally huge deal. They just signed a hundred million dollars with Bud Light. I mean, 
I just, I'm not like you make me say this PFL. Like when you say like we're the co-leader and Dana White's worried, Dana White's not worried. The UFC is Ari Emanuel probably doesn't even know what PFL stands for. Like, <laughs> like if, you ask, if you ask him what does PFL stand for, he'd be like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I have no clue what it stands for. Like professional fishing league. I have no idea. Like he doesn't care. Like, I just hate when you like, why? Like there's nothing wrong with being a clear cut number two in this, like the fact that you can survive in an industry that is littered with the bones of other organizations that have tried and failed at this, the fact that you've been around for however long you've been around and you're now buying, you're in the position to buy other organizations, dude, applaud that. That's awesome. Like I stand up and applaud that, but don't say you're going toe to toe with the UFC because you're not. You are absolutely not, and you're not the co-leader. You're not the, you know, you're not in a race for number one. Uh, it's just, it it bothers me so much. I just don't understand why, why is that the route you decide to take? Like, take any other route but that one. Yeah, well, he's trying. You got to give him that. So, um, yeah, that's a rough situation for him, man. But hopefully it brings the sport up, man. That's all we care about, right? We, we're all old school MMA fans. We love seeing different promotions have great fighters. Like I remember Pride back in the day. I used to love Pride, man. That was so much fun. Um, so getting a little, you know, at least for us hardcore guys, you know, they're never going to be the co-leader. They're not, you know, they're distant number two. That's what it is. But having, you know, some uh, some different matchups some guys that um you know maybe a little bit different um what rule set not really rule set but the well, format a little, yeah different format different opportunities yeah. you know and and uh and also just to be honest like the pfl bolsters their roster because when you look at the pfl's roster like they're not the deepest roster in the world in terms of like when you think it like i again i like the pfl product i like what they do but when you look at their roster top to bottom, they don't have a lot of like known quantities. Like Kayla Harrison is well known. I think Larissa Pacheco is a monster. She's obviously very, very good. But when you kind of go down the list of all their heavyweight, light heavyweight, middleweight, like all their champions, like there's not a lot of names that pop out to you and say like, man, they are the best in the world. Like they're, you know what I mean? Right. Like I love, I love Olivier Aubin mercy. Like what he's been doing, he goes for the title on Friday. I think his reemergence in the, in the PFL is amazing. I love it. Um, but people still remember him as the guy who lost three in a row, leaving the UFC. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now Bellator is in a different situation. I personally, I personally think patchy mix is the best bantamweight in the sport and actually just to mention this i forgot to mention at the top i'm gonna play an interview i did with patchy mix a little later on after we get done uh patchy mix i believe he's the best bantamweight in the sport beat sergio pettis on friday i think he's the best bantamweight in the sport no knock to sean o'malley or any of the guys in the ufc i think patchy mix is the best bantamweight in the sport johnny eblin you could argue could be the best middleweight in the sport compared you know comparatively to sean strickland um you look at aaron pico that guy's not even a champion. He's a freaking monster. He's like, you know, the third guy in the Bellator featherweight division. He's a freaking monster. You look at uh, Vadim Nimkov. That guy is a monster. Like, his last loss came to Yuri Prohoshka, like, you know, 10 years ago. And outside of that, he's been wrecking shop. So that's what PFL benefits here is they actually get a really good roster. Like, because Bellator's roster right now is the best it's ever been. That's huge for them. Like, that's a big, big benefit. 
Um, that's what we should be talking about, man. Like that's the that's where they should be praising and celebrating right now. Not that they're suddenly challenging yeah. the UFC. Yeah, it's funny, man. I've seen a couple people say that Johnny Eblen is the best middleweight in the world, and, and man, it tells me. I think Sean Strickland might be the most underrated middleweight <laughs> in the world. Like this guy, man. Like, like I watch, I look at so many guys that he matches up against, and I'm like, yeah, he'd probably lose. Like, I think everybody would beat Sean Strickland, <laughs> but Sean Strickland beats everybody, <laughs> and it is pretty fucking amazing how he does it. He just doesn't do it in style at all. He does it you know, just looking like he has so many weaknesses, like something's going to fall apart. Something's going to miss. And he just finds a way to get it done and talks the craziest shit on the way doing it. I'll be the first to admit that I am. I have discounted Sean Strickland a little bit, and this isn't going back to me. Absolutely. Getting the picker. <laughs> but but and when you look at, cause when you look at his record, Adesanya is the one really great win on his record. Like, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have like his, his resume is not littered with like top 10 guys. You know what I mean? Like that's not so it's hard not to underestimate him a little bit. When you think about like the, the biggest memory we have before he beat Adesanya was him getting laid out by Alex Pereira. Like that was what we all remember. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not hard to see. Yeah, you're right. Like I, and if it was Adesanya on top, I wouldn't say, Johnny Eblen's got a case. I say Johnny Eblen's got a case because Sean Strickland is currently the champion. I don't know. Maybe he won't even be champion after January. I don't know. Maybe Drickus takes him out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. He is kind of like the most underestimated champ. But I think I, I think that's a case where like it's warranted, right? Like it's not like Sean Strickland just like beat a murderer's row of people. He beat Adesanya, and it was incredibly impressive. But like that's by far like the biggest win on his resume and, and talk about distant second. It's a distant second to the next biggest win on his resume. You know, what was impressive is that he beat Brendan Allen because Brendan Allen is a fucking killer. And last weekend put a stamp on that shit. Cause that dude looked the way that he beat Paul Craig was absolutely mind blowing. He did, man. He uh, he mauled him. I mean, he absolutely mauled him. He got caught in that calf slicer for a minute, but that really didn't put him in any like serious danger. And outside of that, man, he absolutely put it on, put it on Paul Craig, man. Like that, that to me is like the kind of performance I wanted out of Gilleson Almeida when he fought Derek Lewis. Like the way he just right. took him down. Be like that's what I wanted out of him. What Brendan Allen did is exactly that. Like he went out there, took him down, and just beat on him, and then submitted him. Like it was super impressive. And, and to the guy who pulls guard, who wants to be taken down, who has one of the best guards in MMA and is just a ridiculous problems on the ground all through and through. And Brendan Allen just did everything right from beginning to end, made all the right moves, made all the right calls, had the right feels, and just, like you said, just dominated him. It was incredible. And I, I was a guy, and I'll be the first, I'm not sitting here patting myself on the back, Matt, because when he first got signed, I think he came over from LFA. I was, I remember watching him in LFA and I was like, this guy's going to be like a contender one day. And he came in and he had a couple rough fights. He had a couple, you know, a couple losses in there, took a short notice fight against Chris Curtis, which, you know, it is what it is. He took it, he accepted it, but probably not his best move to take a fight like that on whatever it was like six days notice and lose, you know, things like that. But since then, He's looked incredible, man. Six wins in a row, five by submission. When he tapped out Andre Muniz, I was like, damn, like this dude is like super legit. Um, and it's good too, because the middleweight division needs some new blood and he's you know, 28 years old. Like he's still pretty young mm -hmm. and getting better all the time too. 
yeah. getting better every time he goes out there. And that's the biggest thing I noticed when he fought Paul Craig is that at first I thought that his fight IQ must be terrible because, you know, he was taking him down and like, that's where you don't like, that's the worst game plan against Paul Craig is what you would think, but he just did everything right the whole time. And I was like, dude, he's got a, actually has a good fight IQ. Like he fought this very smartly. And then when he got on the ground, get just, you know, made every right decision from beginning to end. Yeah. And I know he talked about, you know, getting a number one contenders fight. I mentioned on Saturday, on Saturday, I said, you know, maybe Jared Cannonier when he comes back from injury, maybe Marvin Vittori, but you know what I'd like to see? And I know it won't probably won't happen because they're going to end up like sitting him out and getting the title shot, which, you know, it is what it is, but man, I'd like to see Brendan Allen and, and Hamzat. I think that would be yeah. a really fun fight. Yeah, I think that'd be a good fight too. But uh, Marvin Vittori was the one that first crossed my mind when I seen that. That man, that that, that would be a good matchup right there. I think because uh, I'm like, where's Vittori been? By the way, uh, he's been out for a little while. He had that loss to Whitaker, and he had that loss to Cannoneer. And been out, but he, he had that win against Roman Delizzi in the middle of that. I think he's down to training. I think he's like down to training at uh, American Top Team now, down in Florida. Mm. I think is where he's training now. He used to train out in California, obviously with. Uh, um uh Rafael Cordero, but I think he's down in, in Florida now, the American top team. No, so switch teams and, and try to revitalize everything, get back. Yeah. I know, think the, the I division, think, I think, is like always underrated. Like I feel like there's just so many good guys that not too many kind of seep through the cracks and stand out versus they're just not being a deep division. I think middle the problem. Well, I don't say it's it's a problem. I think part of the reason we do that at middleweight is because we've continuously had dominant champions like Anderson Silva ruled over there for like a decade, and then Israel Adesanya was like the guy for the longest time. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like no one could quite get there to get name. You know, to get a name because they couldn't beat the champion and because they had a long reigning champion. But you're absolutely. I I said it for the longest time. At welterweight, when George was champion, I was like, yeah, George was George St. Pierre was an absolutely dominant champion, but the welterweight division was incredibly deep. He just happened to be a little mm-hmm. bit better than everybody else. But it didn't mean the welterweight division wasn't deep. It's just George was on top. I think that's kind of what middleweight's dealt with lately because you got Andrew. You went basically from Anderson more or less right into, I mean, obviously, you know, Weidman had the title, Rockhold had the title, Bisping, but like, and once it got to Adesanya, that's basically been the guy. And even now, like Sean Strickland's the champion, we still talk about Israel Adesanya because we're still kind of shocked that Sean Strickland beat him. But that's kind of what the middleweight division's dealt with. Is like we just, you know, there's not been a real break between long reigning champions. Yeah, no, I, I hope Adesanya comes back, man. I hope that he gets his shit together, whatever it is he needs. I hope he takes his break, does whatever. I hope he comes back. I love watching Adesanya. Oh, I hope he gets, I hope he, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And again, he deserves a break. He deserves time off. He's, uh, you know, got a little bit of that Alexander Volkanovsky thing where he has a hard time just taking a break and, and sitting down and resting. But it seems like he's doing that right now and good for him. He's earned it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm totally fine with him coming back and, you know, fighting basically whoever he wants. I, I kind of agree with what you said when we talked right after the fight and said, you know, if he wants to come back for the fight for the title, let him do it. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not real on board with him going to light heavyweight and fighting for that. Even though Pereira is the champion, I think it'd be a little bit of a stretch to let him go back up to 205 without at least getting a win on his record first. But I have no problem if he comes back and just basically fights the winner at middleweight. Maybe Drakus takes out Sean Strickland. He fights Drakus. It's still a huge fight. Um, you know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and that's still a massive, massive one. 
obviously Hamzat's out there as well, and, and you know, and I think you know Hamzat and Adesanya would still be a massive, massive fight. So yeah, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple things out there for him, and I have no problem with whatever he wants to kind of pick and choose when he comes back. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He doesn't need to go up to 205. We already seen, you know, he fought Jan at 205, and Jan's not the best 205er. He's a great 205er, and you know, he's always going to be up there in top five or whatever I think, but you know, he's not the best and uh, Pereira is the only fight there for him really. I think. Yeah. I mean, Pereira needs to fight Jamal Hill. That's the one that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a big believer in Jamal Hill. I think he's a monster man. I mean, watching what he did to Glover to I don't, I don't doubt for a second that he could stand and trade with Alex Pereira and win that fight. Like I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. That dude hits like a truck. Um, he's a big, light heavyweight you know what i mean and and not that alex is small but he's a big light heavyweight dude that's a that's a banger that's the fight that needs to happen dude i'd love to see that fight jamal hill man he cracks me up i've I met him a couple of times and this dude's got the biggest belly i've ever seen <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's such an athlete but like like everything like when he's in the off season so to speak or not training for a fight like everything goes to his belly, like his legs, his arms, nothing else gets big, just his belly. I think. <laughs> Didn't you do a seminar at his gym not that long ago? Yeah. 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 I got to hit those guys up. Maybe go back to another one. The, um, he wasn't there at the time though. Yeah. But that's his gym. That's when he trains on in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Really cool guys, man. Great group up there. Uh, black lion is what it's called. Yeah. And I think that's where he started as a teenager and, he stayed with him the whole time. So yeah, I love that, man. I respect this shit out of that. Yeah, he's a he's a monster, man. Like I think people kind of forget, like, you know, we 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 are all guilty of being kind of prisoner of the moment in this sport. And you kind of forget like what he did to Glover at the time. But my God, like I did not see him doing that to Glover to share. And he just, I mean, man, he took years off Glover's life in that fight. And right. uh and one and you know, it's heartbreaking that he had the torn Achilles, but dude, him and prayer is a hell of a matchup. Like I have a mm. hard time believing that fight sees like the third round. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly yeah. Um, you know, it, it's tough though, because like like Jamal's so explosive and and like you said, he hits like a truck. But man, Prayer just got some tricks, bro. Like this dude just got every trick in the bag, man. He's seen it all, you know. And but somebody's going down in that fight. That's for sure. That we say that we throw that around a lot. That's one of those fights that you know the betting odds on that going to a decision got to be astronomical. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me backtrack and ask you a question. I wanted to ask you about this, anyways. We we're talking about the Brendan Allen card on Saturday. Did you watch the whole card? Did you watch just the main event? Did you like, what did you watch of that card? Um, I was kind of in and out actually. Much okay, a little so, bit here and there. We were hitting the sauna, you know, Coleman over here, making noise, working out, you know? Yeah. Good shout out to our boy Coleman, Mark Coleman. He had surgery today. Hope he's uh, doing yep. well. So um, here's my question, Matt. I, I liked, by the way, I, I, just to be clear, I really liked Brendan Allen going out there beating Paul Craig. It was impressive, but I said this on uh, last week when I put out the main card on Twitter, and I said, well, this card's kind of rough. Like, it was not the strongest main card in terms of, like, name value or anything. And, like, that's kind of what it's become with these UFC Apex cards. Then you look at the card come up in Austin, 
in two weeks. Dude, that card is stacked. I mean, Benil Dariush mm. and Armin Sarukian, Dan Hooker, yeah. Bobby Green. Like, it is incredibly stacked. And yeah, I started thinking, yeah, Gaslam's on that card and Sean Brady. Like, it's a really good Sean card. Brady. And I'm thinking to myself, does the UFC have a bit of a fight night problem? Because now that they're traveling on the road again, the traveling cards are getting stacked again. Like they're stacking up these, you know, where they got to sell tickets. Like the UFC Austin card is stacked up. These Apex cards are getting pretty rough, man. Like they're getting like, it's just like there was based on the UFC rankings. There were four ranked fighters on this entire card this past Saturday. Like that's it four. And two of them were the women's fighters, which were like number 12 and number 15. Um, and even Brendan Allen and Paul Craig in the main event. I think Brendan Allen was 10 and Paul Craig was like 14. Like, I understand you got a certain number of cards you got to fill and you got a certain contractual obligation of cards you got to provide for ESPN. Some of these fight night cards are a little rough, man. I'm, I'm being honest. Like, there's been a couple this year where I'm just like, I can't believe this is a UFC fight night card in 2023. Yeah, well, I guess it's a little rough in that you don't necessarily recognize recognize all the names, right? But you know, you get some hell of good fights on some of those unknown cars too. If I if I'm Dana White or if I'm the UFC, I I always wonder why they didn't do this. Like, okay, the Apex, uh, its usefulness was is complete, right? Like, we're not in COVID anymore. We're not shut down. The usefulness is complete. So, if you want to make it useful, still. You know, use it for um I don't want to call it a minor league, but you know, sort of a build-up league. Like let's give these guys tests. And maybe that's sort of what they're doing, but maybe like formalize that a little bit. Like let us, you know, tell us like these are the up and comers, these are contenders, or you know, some something along those lines. Like maybe a step up from the contender series or the ultimate fighter, but like the the next step. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, no, it does, it does, and I, you know, it's just like, it's it's gotten to the point now where it's like, when the UFC goes back to the UFC Apex, I just assume I know what the card's gonna be, like, I know it's not gonna be filled with bangers. Now, to be fair, they are going to the UFC Apex in January, and they're gonna bring Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, now that's a good fight, that's a quality yeah. fight, I really look forward to that one. But by and large, a lot of these cards have been pretty rough, man. Like they, 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 like the undercards have been like, and it's. I agree with you in principle about, like the fights can still be fun, right? They are, they can be, but we got to be honest, Matt. Like even like as fun as the fights can be, sometimes it's harder to get excited about them if you don't know who they are, right? Absolutely. Like, I, like I can, I can, like I see highlights from. LFA and cage warriors and some of these European promotions and they put out a highlight and I see a really cool knockout flying knees and head kicks and spinning heel kicks. I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. That's what I, that's a 30 second clip. I'm cool with that. Like, you know what I mean? It's cool knockout. Right. But it means more when it's somebody, you know, or somebody with value, a top 15, top 20 fighter or a name, like again, Jim Miller, not currently ranked in the top 15, but Jim Miller is a quantifiable person. We know him. He's a, he's an, he's an OG legend, right? Clay Guida guys like that, like guys who may not have the ranking, but we know them. Um, a lot of these cards are getting filled up by contender series fighters. And 
like there was a time years ago, Matt, where I could literally, I could tell you at least one thing about every single fighter on the UFC roster. I may not be able to tell you their whole life story, but I at least say, oh yeah, they lost their last one or, oh, they're coming in off of a big win or they're doing the, that those days are long gone. Like I can't tell mm-hmm. you who half the people are anymore. And that's why, like, I, I agree they can still have these banger great fights from time to time. But the problem is, is it's just that the gravity of it feels less because you don't have any investment in the people. Like you don't have any knowledge or you don't know who these people are. And so, man, great knockout. Who was he? Like, that's kind of the reaction yeah. you get sometimes. Yeah. Cause realistically there is enough MMA on now that you can go see great fights. Like you can like PFL Bellator, like we were talking about earlier or, UAE Warriors, Cage Warriors, uh, you know, there's LFA, there's fights all the time. So if you want to just go see fights, like, I mean, you can go down here in Columbus, they have them every month or two, you know, like it's easy to just find fights. So what one of the things UFC has always brought is that name value. Like we know who's on the card. Like you said, we you could tell something about the people every time and now it's, feels a little bit more watered down, doesn't it? Right. It's, it's a little bit more watered down, but like I said, that's why I think that it'd be nice if they would just formally call it like, this is, you know, the build up series or, you know, whatever you end up wanting to call it, but l- let people know, like th- this isn't the, you know, this is the UFC, but this isn't the Super Bowl here. This is a regular season game. Yeah, and what they've done, and I get it, what they've done is they've started stacking the pay-per-views and they started stacking the cards that are actually getting audiences, and then kind of the leftovers go to the Apex cards. I get it. I, it's not a bad formula. I understand why they're doing it. Like I said, when you look at the UFC Austin card, it's stacked. I mean, it is incredibly yeah. stacked for a fight night card. And then UFC 296, holy crap. Like you got Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. You got Brandon Moreno and, uh, or excuse me, you got Brandon Royval and uh, Alessandro Pantoja. You got Ian Gary and Vicente Luque. Wonder Boy against Shavkat Rachmanov. Uh, Josh Emmett against uh, against uh, Giga Chikadze. I mean that card is loaded, loaded mm-hmm. from top to bottom. You know what I mean? Uh, and like I said, the UFC Austin card is the same way. But you can kind of tell. Like the cards that aren't that, like the the card that we got at the Apex coming up on December 9th is going to be Chris Gutierrez against Song Yudong. Now that's not a bad fight. That's a hell of a fight. Hell of a fight. But would you really see that as a main event fight? That seems like maybe a good co-main on a fight night. You know what I mean? Like three or four years ago, like before the pandemic, that would have been like a good co-main event on a fight night card. But uh, like we were, remember right before the pandemic, we were getting the main event here in Columbus, Ohio, was going to be Francis Ngannou against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Remember that? That was going to be our main event here in Columbus. I before, remember I this fight on. Yeah, before the pandemic, and the one right before that was going to be Leon Edwards against Tyron Woodley. That was two fight night cards in the same month, and that those were the headliners. Yeah, that's interesting how it's kind of changed <laughs> like that just since the pandemic, you know. I said, I'd like to see him formalize it, but you remember back in the day, I mean, the, this sport just keeps evolving and keep growing. It's crazy because back in the day, we'd wait two or three months just to see a single fight, right? And we'd oh, just yeah. be begging, waiting the whole time. So much build up, so much pump up. It was such a big thing. Everybody get together, have a big party. And now it's like, 
you know, yeah, you like you said, you have these fight night cards, and it's just a, it's just another day. I, I didn't even know that it was going on. My son ended up telling me, <laughs> and <laughs> so you know, it, it was on like kind of uh, during the day, right? I think it ended. Yeah, it was like, like five, it, six yeah, it was, it was on. Yeah, it was on like five o'clock in the afternoon, which was weird. Um, yeah, so, so those guys are fighting it, you know, in the mid afternoon out in Vegas. Yeah. I, like I said, and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, it's, it's so much that the product is watered down. I just think they're going by a formula now where they're stacking the pay-per-views and they're stacking the cards where they got to sell tickets. Right. And then the apex cards are just kind of like the leftovers and it's fine. And I, mean, and I don't think is, there's anything wrong with it. I, I like it actually. And I like having something on ESPN to watch some fights every weekend and it's a UFC fight. So you know, it's got the name value and everything with the, the UFC. But I said, I would just like to see them formalize it. Like, just tell us, like, this is the, you know, the, it's a regular season game. Yeah. And it, I think that's, I think that's kind of where we have to adjust our expectations these days is that um, I think we all kind of got in tune for a while there for several years where it's like we expected at least one big fight on every card, right? Like at one really meaningful fight on every card. Now, not every card was stacked, but every card would have at least one usually pretty meaningful fight. Number one contender fight, top five guys, big name at the top, that kind of thing, even on a fight night card. Um, and it just seems like since the pandemic with the apex there now, it's like we have the Super Bowl cards, which are the pay-per-views typically. And, it can, you know, you, you do get a stinker here or there every now and again just because the way injuries happen and things like that. And then you get the the cards in live arenas, like the one in Austin uh, when they go to England, things like that. And then the Apex is kind of like the best of the rest. And I know it sounds insulting to the guys who fight at the Apex. It's not. It's just saying, like, they're not – putting as much emphasis on those. I just think that's the formula we got now. Like, and I wish I agree with you, like just, you know, UFC light. I don't know whatever you want to call it. Like just, you know, cause it is, it's like, I, I think we still, have, it's still ingrained in me, Matt, that when the UFC's on, it's a big deal, right? Like every time the UFC's right. on, it feels like a big deal, but that's not necessarily the case right now. Like next weekend is a big deal. When Benir Dariush fights Armin Saruki in the main event, that's a big deal. When, Leon Edwards fights Colby Covington. That's a big deal. This last card, I liked Brendan Allen and Paul Craig, but when you look at the rest of the card, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, like, oh man, I can't wait to see like this and that. Like those are the cards you used to see like Edson Barbosa on and, and, uh, you know, guys who were like kind of on that cusp of getting to be a big thing, but not quite there yet. That kind of thing. And like those days now, Edson Barbosa's headlining cards with Sadiq Youssef. That would not have been a main event five years ago. Like it's not a bad fight. It's a great fight, but it's just not typically, it it would have been like co-main or the third fight on a fight night card. I guess, I guess all I'm saying is that's the world we live in. Now we have to readjust our expectations for what the UFC cards are going to be. I just, I still have it in my head that every time there's a UFC card, it's a big deal and it's not always going to be a big deal, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of sucks, but it's kind of cool too. Right. Remember back in the day we used to, I remember on the underground forum and shit, we'd always be saying, you know, wait, wait till we get on, you know, the big TV network or whatever. <laughs> you know, we were just begging for it, itching for it, knowing it was going to come one day. And now we're here. And so I try not to complain about it. Right. We got to remember that's what we wanted all this time. 
That's true. That's true. It is. I mean, listen, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not certainly not complaining. It just, I kind of long for those days of like mean, really meaningful fights. Like I'm super yeah. jazzed about the Austin card. Like I'm super jazzed for UFC 295. It's just, there's a couple fillers in between there that aren't really getting me super excited. If that makes sense. Like I'm like, eh, you know, it's a fight card. Uh, like this past weekend, Bellator had the better card. Like Bellator had the better card with Patchy Mix and Sergio Pettis. Uh, did you watch the Bellator card on Friday? I did not. Dude, it was crazy. Jason Jackson knocked out Yaroslav Amosov to become welterweight champion. Like, no one saw that coming. Like, Amosov looked like a monster. And Jason Jackson knocked him out. And Apache Mix choked out Sergio Pettis inside two rounds, which was wild. Uh, it was a good card, which is, you know, now looks like it's going to be the final card of Bellator under that regime. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, like I said, I guess every card's not going to be a banger. Um, but to their credit, when the UFC does put on a banger card, it's a banger. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, exactly. Especially, so the next card is going to be Austin. Two weeks, right? Yeah. All right. The, the, there's some great, great fights on there. I can't wait to break all those down, man. I'm going to have to watch some film and because that those are just some banger, banger fights, man. Bobby Green, Dan Hooker. <laughs> I think that's going to be a war of wars, man. <laughs> like those guys are nuts. They got five rounds too. They did it five rounds for the co-main event, which is kind of fun. So it's, although I don't know if it'll go five rounds, but it's interesting that they got five rounds. Yeah, that's very cool, man. Um, is this Bobby Green's first five-round fight? Uh, no, he was. Hookers. He was scheduled for the fight. Well, he was scheduled for five rounds with Islam, and then he he lost, and then he got scheduled for five rounds against grant dawson and he knocked him out in the first round so he he was scheduled for five rounds he just hasn't actually had to go it but he's been he's been in a couple main events okay because i'm pretty confident that the hooker can do all five and grind it out bobby green's got that style where you wonder how he's gonna handle those last couple rounds yeah it's interesting because like dude bob at any given moment bobby green could be a top five guy in the world like no kidding. Like there's there are when he's on and he looks good, I think he could be just about anybody. Now there are other times when he doesn't and, you know, he gets handled. But there are like that's like that's one of those guys like he may not be the best ranked guy, he may not be a champion or former champion, but like he's the kind of guy that you always got to watch out for. Like he's Absolutely. just that dude. He's just that dude. 
Yeah, well, he's got that athleticism that he kind of relies on a lot, you know, and I think that plays a big factor in him kind of not showing some days because when, you you know, someone's got the fundamentals over you, it makes you look bad. I'm sorry. You know, when you're out there trying to rely on your athleticism and they're either as athletic or they got, you know, the technical skills to be able to handle that athleticism, you know, it, it just makes you look bad. I, you know, I think we've seen this many times. I see it in, in the gym all the time, guys that are crazy good athletes, but they – for whatever reason, they rely on the athleticism and won't put in the technical work. And I'm not saying that Bobby Green doesn't put in technical work either. I don't really know. But, you know, when you rely on that athleticism and let those fundamentals fall behind, you're going to have some bad outings sometimes because so that, that athleticism doesn't cover all the gaps every time. Yeah, and then you look at Dan Hooker, who is an incredibly talented fighter, but he has a tendency to really get in wars, like really get in like, Oh yeah. That kind of damage eventually does catch up to you. And that's a dangerous game to play with a guy like Bobby green who hits really, really hard. And, and Bobby is also incredibly durable. Like that's tough because Dan hooker, man, when Dan hookers on, he's another one. You feel like he's a guy who could be top five in the world, but he does get drawn into a lot of wars. And that always worries me because I always, I always remember back one of my favorite guys to watch back in the day, I still like him to this day. It's not like I've given up on him or anything, but like back in the day, you remember back in the day, Roy Nelson had the concrete chin. Like you could hit him with a freaking sledgehammer. He would just oh, stare yeah. back at you and swing. And then one day he got hit by Mark hunt and got face planted. And he was never quite the same again. Like he was never that, that chin got cracked and it just never was quite the same again. I don't know. I don't. I don't think Dan Hooker's reached that point because he's still gotten in some wars lately and been okay. But I'm always worried when a guy has that kind of style where we compliment him on his durability, because one day, man, that does catch up with you. Like I always say, it, dude, having a great chin is like a backhanded compliment. You know, because yeah. it means yeah, you get hit a lot. It means you get hit a lot. But that's true, right? Like you get hit a lot. Like, yeah. You don't want to be the guy who's like, oh yeah, I get hit 50 times a fight. Great. Like that's not the, like it is, a, it's a compliment, but it's kind of a backhand compliment in a way. Yeah. Yeah. No one means it that way, but we certainly take it that way. And being the toughest guy in the room, you know, again, when you get to the UFC level or like Dan Hooker's level, particularly, you know, every single person that you're fighting is tough. So having that on your resume or, or as a, as a check on your list of attributes, you know, isn't really the one that you want, right? There's because that, that's not gonna, that's not a great way to go out and win fights is having that toughness. And, you know, I've been a victim of that my damn self. Like I've been known as the tough guy or whatever. And, um, you know, it's not something that I necessarily ever aspired to. I just coincidentally tougher than some guys, but it's not something that, you necessarily want to be on the top of your list there. Yeah. I mean, everyone, listen, you, you know, no one goes in there wanting to get hit. You know, it's good to have that as a, it's good to have that because you, you're in a fight inevitably you're going to be hit. Like that's the reality of it. So it's good to know you can take a shot. Cause you know, Matt, there's some guys who can't take a punch. Like some guys just do not react well to getting punched. They don't have yeah. that in them. And that's, that's part of it, but it is, it's a weird, it is like, I like, I appreciate the durability. I do. And it is, it, it is meant as a compliment, but it is, as I said, it's also a backhanded compliment because if you can eat 400 strikes in a, in a fight, 
that's awesome. But you also ate 400 strikes. Like that's, you know, it's yeah. like, do you really, do you really want that to be your level of success? And you took 400 strikes. Like, and that's what worries me about a guy like Dan Hooker, because that catches up to you eventually. Like no one, no one can live through that forever. If that's like every single fight, you're walking out of there beaten up, bloodied, bruised. You know, he absorbed the second most strikes in UFC history. Things like that's not what you want your your record to be built on. It's funny because I, I trained with Hooker uh, a couple times back in the day. I don't think he was even in the UFC yet, but, you know, he's actually a really technical guy. He's got a lot of really good technical skills, and he is a really, really hard hitter, but he hasn't really been known for either of those things, maybe, you know, maybe known for his technicality a little bit, but in the, since he got to the UFC and I think that he just hasn't performed up to his potential, to be honest, I think he actually has a lot more potential than we've seen out of him. A little bit of that, uh, back in the day, a little bit of that Mike Pyle in him, maybe a little bit, you know, I don't think it's that. I think it might be the, the toughness thing. Like he's wants to be tough and, goes out and he might even crave that war a little bit. I mean, it's fun to get in a war. Like if you, you know, if you ever, uh, I guess you'd never probably been in one, but you know, it, when, once you feel that, like you kind of crave that a little bit, you're like, dude, that's the best feeling. And then everybody pumps you up after, you know, they're going to boost your ego, tell you how great it was. Um, like, like I still get messages about when fighting Eric Silva from, you know, <laughs> something like 10 years ago. And, you know, so it makes you feel good. And you kind of go in um, wanting that a little bit and, and not just wanting it, but uh, knowing that you can go through it, like not being afraid of it or, or maybe not even not being afraid, of it, but not not like veering away from it. You know, when you could just go out there and technically beat the guy, you're like, fuck that. I'm going to bite down my mouthpiece and let's go. Yeah, we always talk about that. Like he just bites down his mouthpiece and goes, but like it's a real thing. Like that that actually happens. Like you're just like let's fucking go. Like let's just throw down and see who falls down first. Um, I think you're probably right with Hooker. I think that's probably exactly it. Like he's just like, why am I going to take a backward step? And when I can step forward and just throw down, and you know, yeah. if he took a he's a long rangey guy. Maybe if he took a step back, he could like throw a counter. And right. just land a knockout, but he's like, fuck that. I'm going to stay in the pocket and just throw down. And, and, you know. and it may be a, a mental thing, too. I don't know. I mean, you kind of have to know the fighter a little bit, but there may be a little bit of getting overly fired up or overly intense. You know, on, when the lights come on, maybe just begging for that war a little bit. You know, the, it could be a lot of different things r- rather than, um, you know, maybe just if he just goes in relaxes a little more and allows the fight to play out rather than trying to force things or, you know, it could be anxiety. It could be a lot of different things. Yeah. When you, when you've had your moments of going to war, is that something that you always did? Is it something you did early in your career, late in your career? Like, is it something you've just, that's just always been, it just depends on the fight. Uh, well, I'm uh, probably a little bit different than most of these guys because I didn't start training till I was 24 years old you know like I was way older and I came from you know more of a street fighting background so to speak and these kind of guys like me that come into my gym now that um that were like I was back then those aren't the I'm not even interested in those guys you know (laughs) um but I didn't come from like a wrestling background I didn't really know fighting I kind of thought that I did but I studied the shit out of it to learn it and 
so for me, that was sort of my best strategy was, you know, let's go in and fucking swing for the fences and be tough as you can. Um, fortunately, it worked out for me a lot of times, but, you know, I, I think I'm, my case is probably different than a lot of other people's because I just simply didn't have the technical skill starting out. But now you do. And like, it's like, I see the strategy when you go in there and fight and like the game plan and the way you dismantle people when you go in there, like the way you fought Court McGee. Um, I saw what you were doing and it's like, that's, that's the technical prowess you've adapted over the years where you went in there and just dismantled him and then knocked him out. Um, you know, kind of like what you did with Diego Lima, same kind of thing. Like there's a certain, I see the strategy there. It's a much different Matt. Like you're still just as deadly, but it's a much different Matt Brown now than it was 10, 12 years ago. A hundred percent. And that's what I've always craved to get. Unfortunately, I don't know if you say unfortunately, but you know, like I'm 42 now, right? I'm almost 43. And, you know, if I had this same brain, I think every fighter would probably say this. Like if I had the same mind back then as I do now, you know, things would have been a little bit different. But, you know, I, I always stepped, I always fought above my own level and competition. And I was just sh- shot for the stars, went for everything I could. And I always wanted to challenge myself to the fullest. So, um, you know, I don't regret anything that I ever did. Um but I also, I had to, I also wanted to do this for a long time. And I've been a student of martial arts and fell in love with the martial arts and, um, you know, really studied it and embraced it too. You know, again, unlike a lot of these other guys that came up in whether it's wrestling or kickboxing, boxing or whatever, I never even had the opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, the, the second that I did, I just, been a sponge ever since and still a sponge but trying to give a lot of that knowledge back too yeah well i also know like i think something's a little different like when you say you're not you're not the typical 42 year old fighter though like you haven't because you didn't put wear and tear on your body at 20 like you didn't you weren't out there like i like daniel cormier well daniel cormier is a little different case because he was wrestling all those years but he didn't start fighting till he's like 31 so when he's fighting and still being a champion at 41, like it's not that much of a surprise because he didn't have to kill his body the same way taking Dan. Like, yes, wrestling, of course, that's incredibly high level, but he's not getting punched in the head. Uh, you know, it's a different feeling. So like you starting at 24, you know, in a lot of ways, like you're you're 42 now, but in a lot of ways you're like a 36-year-old fighter because you got a later start. You weren't taking the damage at 18 that a lot of guys are now. Like that Raul Rosas Jr. kid who's like 19 years old, and he's already been in the UFC for like a year and a half or whatever. Like yeah. that's a different level because you started later. So while yes, you are 42, you're not the guy who was fighting at 19. You're not Cario Parisian who was taking fights at fucking 15 years old. Right, in, right. You know, fucking and promotions. I think, so. well, fighting, I think you know. the, uh, part of that too is like how you train too. Yeah. You know, um, you know, if you train very, like if you train intelligently, like you can last a lot longer. And I think that's just a, I think one of the, the fundamental things I see in successful fighters is being able to expand your time horizon and see like, okay, I don't have to win this round right now, you know, in training. Right. Um, instead they're seeing the bigger picture. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm getting better at this today and they're projecting themselves to be better in five, 10 years versus, you know, let's just win this today. And I think that's a huge lesson for younger fighters is, you know, expand your time horizon, know that this is a long journey and know, 
Um, also know when, you know, the average person peaks out, which is like 30 to 35, right? It's not, you don't like, I don't like Rosas coming into the UFC at 17, 18 years old. Now, John Jones, I think was an aberration where he came in at a pretty young age or a very young age. And, but he was a complete freak of nature too, right? <laughs> he was able to do things that other people weren't able to do. Now he came in and dominated. So, you know, that's a completely different situation. If Rosas had come in with those kind of freak attributes, I think we'd be having a different, a different opinion about him. but I don't see those freak attributes with him. So I think, uh, and, and you also have to keep in mind what I did to my body from, I don't know, 15 to 24. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, training hard and, you know, getting, uh, surgeries and, you know, breaking my arms and stuff, but the damage that I was doing to my body may have been worse than that, to be honest. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. But you talk about, like you mentioned, but you also mentioned John Jones right there. Like John Jones came in at 20 or whatever he was at 21. Let's also not forget he was a high level wrestler at that point. Like he went yeah. to Iowa community college where he's wrestling alongside guys like Kane Velasquez and Colby Covington. So like he had a background. And so when he made the transition, yes, he also is a freak athlete and a freak, like just talent, but that's a once in a lifetime guy. Like that's like, it's once like the way we talk. It's like the and, way we talk about George when, Sapier learning wrestling. With you know? that wrestling, I didn't, didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, when he comes in with that wrestling, like whether you, if you come in with anything into MMA, like you got something to fall back on, right? You're trying to funnel people into that game. Um, John obviously like learned striking and jiu-jitsu and everything, but like no matter what happened, like he he knew what his go-to was. So you take someone like me, like I didn't have a go-to. My go-to was like, I'm going to be tougher than you and I'm going to swing harder than you. <laughs> yeah. And that's the reality. Like I said, but John, John Jones is the once in a lifetime kind of situation. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I agree with you. Like, I hope, I hope Ro Rosas finds nothing but success, but I'm not a big fan of it either. Like, I think you need a little bit more maturity, a little bit more time. You don't even really grow into your adult body until you're like 20 some years. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot. And I'm a big believer in like, you know, have being fully prepared because again, when you get to the UFC, that's the highest level of the sport. Like, it's not like you're fighting in a, a, you know, you're, you're, you're debuting at 18 and a smaller promotion and working your way up. You're in the UFC at 18 or 19. That's a, that's a lot. Like so rarely has it happened and it, and it hasn't often worked out well for a lot of people. Like I, do you remember Dan Lozon? Dan Lozon oh, yeah. came in and like, you know, and he was a young guy and he just, kind of burn out like he went high, he went high and hard and then it just kind of you know flamed out a little bit and you look at his brother joe who was you know in my opinion like one of the most one of the best dudes in this business but like he never had that resume but he he was consistent he was consistent he came in with that background he was ready for it you wonder like dude i remember i always joke when I talk to teenagers who were fighting and I'm just like, dude, I couldn't imagine myself being in your position at 18. Like I was a fuck up at 18. Like I was in college. But I was still a fuck up. Like I still wasn't mentally mature enough to be fighting in the UFC. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot. That is a lot, lot. And uh, like I said, he's not a freak athlete, you know, he, I mean, he's definitely athletic and he's good and everything. Um, but man, you, you gotta like, you know, you got to go out and do grappling competitions and wrestling and striking and get good at those things. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, John it's not Jones easy, is a freak. Man. It's good different. Yeah. That's why I said like George St. Pierre, like George St. Pierre 
was the one guy who came without any wrestling background and learned wrestling while he was fighting. Like that doesn't ha- that doesn't happen. Like you don't wrestle right. at that level. George St. Pierre is a freak of nature. John, John John Jones is a freak of nature. That's a rare occurrence. Um, no offense to Raul Rosas Jr., but like that's just the reality. Like John Jones is a once in a lifetime kind of guy. George St. Pierre is a once in a lifetime kind of guy. Like we're talking about two of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. You can't put yourself in that category right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he he has a long way to go. So I, I, again, I don't really like seeing it. I'd rather see him work his way up. You know, like most guys do. You know, at least go in, in the smaller promotions. You know, get your feet wet. Um, yeah. So it's gonna be a rough road for him, I think. But hope, like I said, I, I wish all the best for him. I hope he proves me wrong. That's that's what I'm asking for. Like, prove me wrong, bro. Like, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. So there, here's your chance. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, Matt, are you going to be watching? Are you going to be watching any fights this weekend? I guess there's some boxing matches coming up this weekend. The PFL finals on Friday. Are you going to watch anything this weekend? You got plans? Um, I got plans actually. So I'm, I don't know what, why I do this shit, but <laughs> I decided to remodel my garage. So <laughs> oh, I already, no. I already uh, put a, all the all new drywall up and, mudded it and I, I was uh sanding it that's why i was a little late tonight to get on the show i was sanding the fucking drywall mud and yeah so and now i gotta paint it over the weekend so good times yeah you start a project you gotta finish it it's also getting winter time here in ohio so you don't be doing that too long in the in the outside well that's why i wanted my garage to be nice you know because uh, i was uh, i work out in my garage a lot and originally I was just like, Hey, I'm going to paint this one wall. Right. I just want, you know, I just want this to look a little bit nicer. So I can do maybe some videos or something, you know, film some Instagram clips or some shit in there. And it's like, Hey, you know, I need this wall to look better. And then that turned into the entire thing being taken apart and <laughs> redone. So it's, it's been a job, but yeah, I love doing construction work personally, man. It's very gratifying for me and it's something great in my downtime to do. There you go. Yeah, I know you're in the uh, working out in the sauna, hanging out with Coleman in the sauna. So you're a busy man, dude. We love the sauna. Uh, we're hitting it all the time. Every time my kids are over, they're begging to get in the sauna. And then I just got a couple of recliners for the sauna now. Damien, oh, you got to nice. come over, hit the I sauna sometime. It. It's a great time, man. I got to do it, man. That's getting out. Yeah, you got the the full setup over there. I got the full setup. Got the cold shower outside. Uh, waiting on a cold plunge to be here soon. Um, it's just amazing, man. I love it. It's the best feeling ever. You're gonna have like the whole the whole setup, like the recovery, the the recovery, and everything's there. And then you get the Immortal Martial Arts Center for the training. Yep, and my massage girl, she's gonna come out and do the sauna and give us massages after. Damn, it's, getting the full setup. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I love it. I love it. Well, there are some fights this weekend. Obviously, PFL on Friday. I'll be covering that. The PFL Championship. Uh, some pretty good fights on there. Kayla Harrison makes her return. Uh, obviously, all the uh, million-dollar fights on there. And then there's some boxing matches this weekend. David Benavidez fights this weekend. Um, so that'll be good. Right yeah, so uh, incredibly good fighter. That's going to be good. And then next week, Matt, we'll be previewing the UFC Austin card, which, as we said, is a super good card. Uh, Benil Dariush, Armin Sarukian, Dan Hooker, Bobby Green, uh, Kelvin Gaslam, Sean Brady. It's a really, really good card, so we'll be talking about all that. But uh, as we get out of here today, Matt, let me give you a chance if anyone wants to check out what you got going on before I get to this interview with Patchy Mix. Where can people check out uh, and support you with what you're doing? I am the Immortal Twitter and Instagram at the Immortal Coffee, the No Crash Coffee. 
Um, and, you know, I also got to thank Redwood Outdoors for the sauna. Um, and I think that's about all I got going on right now. Probably some more, but. Yeah, it's been a long day. You've been drywalling, so it's all right. Uh, a big thank you, as always, for everyone that tunes in. Enjoy this interview with Patchy Mix, the new Bellator Bantamweight champion. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Fighter versus The Rider. Thanks for tuning in. So about a week or so ago, a little over a week or so ago, I introduced him as the number one bantamweight in the world. But if there was any question about that, it is now officially settled because he is now the undisputed Bellator bantamweight world champion. It is always my pleasure to speak to the best bantamweight in all of mixed martial arts. Patchy Mix. Patchy, you said you'd be back. First interview after the championship, and here we are. Yeah, I feel good, man. Oh, just got done. Uh, Let's finish Sergio Pettis Friday. Big performance. A big statement made. Absolutely. We got a lot to talk about, of course. Obviously, some other news came out today that we'll talk about in a little bit. But let's get to the fight first, because I told you going into it, this was my most anticipated fight for the rest of 2023. Now, Patchy, I got to be honest. I thought, man, this is going to be an incredible battle. I can't wait to see this chess match between Sergio and Patchy. Uh, It wasn't much of a chess match. It was like you had the king and the queen, and he had nothing but pawns. One-sided fight. Did you see it playing out in that fashion? Yeah, I thought it would be dominant. Um, I thought I'd be even more dominant. I thought I'd put him away even in the first round had I got him down. I had three and a half minutes of control time, so um, just kind of want to work on that. Um, I should have put him away, I think. Could have mounted him early in the first round. I think uh, it's made a couple mistakes, but I'm happy to you know go in there and then second round, get the finish, do what I do, dominate, take the back trap the arm and do a beautifully you know a beautiful display of jujitsu it was incredible and you know and we talked about it before and Sergio Pettis was on an incredible run right like you don't you know you don't go out and dominate Patricio Pitbull for five rounds the way he did by accident you don't beat guys like Juan Archuleta by accident to go out there and dominate him the way you did. And and I know, like you said, even in the first round, you could have got finished. In my opinion, I think going in that second round even showed better because you had to, you know, you had to go and do it again. Again, like that's such a huge performance because Sergio was on a run, man. Like Sergio looked incredible and it just, it didn't, it looked like a mismatch. And I mean that with the yeah, utmost look. respect to, 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 pet, to, to Sergio, but it looked like a mismatch. It definitely was the size, uh, the reach, the length, the, you know, my physicality. It was a big mismatch, I thought, um, just when uh, in certain areas of the game, you know. I feel like, obviously, on the feet, he can strike with anyone, but I felt like there would be a mismatch on the ground, and I would be able to put him away with relative ease because of my, you know, I'm a high-level black belt. I feel like one of the highest-level black belts that are involved in MMA right now. So I knew I'd have the advantage there. Um, Just kind of take my time. That's why I was thinking in the first round, you know, He's very good on the feet, like I said, so I didn't want to rush anything and let him scramble back to his feet. I wanted to make sure I could uh, secure position, anchor down on him, and uh, kind of make him tired as opposed to rushing things similar to why I did in the Juan Archuleta fight. Maybe he can get out. I thought it was very important to control him and weather wear on him, and then uh, it was good to take his back, like you said. And, um, you know, I felt like the size and the physicality was a little bit too much for him in those departments. That scramble, the final scramble that led to the finish was so beautiful. When you took his back, you know, people kind of joke and they call you the human backpack. That is the last place you want to be in the world is having Patchy Mix on your back. But it was such a, like, I can only speak to the technique because 
you got him, you got his back, and then you, oh, it was beautiful. You trapped his arm. Your leg came down. You trapped his arm, and boom, you had to choke. It was it was one of the most beautiful sequences I've seen in a finishing sequence. I don't know. Did you just did you just know it in that moment because it was like yeah. rapid fire? Yeah, I just run the sequence, man. I ran it probably six times this morning. I grappled for like eight rounds this morning. I was choking everyone out with that. <laughs> I choke a lot of people out with that same sequence. It's my number one, not my number one, but like. It's probably my number like four, to be honest with you. I have a bunch of other ones too, but that's one of them. You know, that's one of my favorite, favorite uh, arm trap sequences. I kind of thought he was trying to go out the, the bottom, like, you know, get out the back door there. And it was important for me to make the adjustments. I was happy to make the adjustments on the fly too, in front of people. Uh, it's such a big crowd. It's for a world title. So it's, um, you know, not a lot of people can make the adjustments that I did in the, the live time you know, as, uh, as fast as I did it. So, you know, I'm just grateful that I showed, um, you know, brilliant technique. Absolutely. You know, we, we talked about it beforehand, you know, the goal to get to this title, to become undisputed Bellator champion, long time coming. And and you, you mentioned very honestly, the adversity you went through in that Warren Archuleta fight mm-hmm. and then coming back from that. Can you give me a sense of the emotion, like in that moment of finally achieving that dream of finally becoming the undisputed Bellator champion after all the work you put in to get there? I don't know, man. It just kind of felt like another night. I feel uh, my last three fights were all world title level. Even though Sergio was out and he had that knee injury, Horiguchi was such a high-level competitor. I fought him for five rounds. Then I fought 19-2 and Maga. He had never been finished. He was an ACB champion that beat Peter Yan. I fought him in a five-round fight. Then I fought Rufion Stotts in a five-round fight, who's the interim champion. I almost felt like, you know, I felt like deep down uh, I was already a champion, you know, so it was, it was no different. When I had won the fight, it was just exactly what I expected myself to do, you know. I uh, hold myself to that regard, and I, you know, I was kind of disappointed in myself, like I had said earlier in the interview, but when I watched it back, I was really happy, you know, after I took it in, you know. I'm, so my, I'm my biggest critique, you know. I'll go home after dominating a a whole training session and I'll be upset because I didn't get a submission or something. That's just me. So it was, uh, when I watched it back, I was very happy with it. Yeah. I saw today. Uh, I think it was Jose Shorty Torres posted like, you're already back in the gym. You're already in there training literally two days later to help other people get ready for their fights. Yeah. It's three days later. I fought Friday. So today's Monday, a couple days. Yeah. Three days later, I'm back. Um, I'm just going to keep training. Uh, I like training, so that's what you know. I like jujitsu. I like uh, rolling and grappling, and especially MMA grappling. So um, I was just in there trying to help guys and um, get better myself. And Tatiana was in there rolling too. So why wouldn't I be in there helping her? I gave her some, uh, you know, grappling rounds myself, and um, it was important, you know, just to kind of stay motivated. I'm not doing it for the belts or the money. I'm doing it for my own happiness. So um, why not stay training? You know. Yeah. Did you put the belt in the closet? You said you're probably just going to go in the closet when you get it. Did it go in the closet? No, it's honestly, I had my other two belts. They're on my uh, floor in my room right now, but my (laughs) other belt's still in my suitcase over there. The one I just won, I didn't take it out yet. I just got back yesterday, though. Yeah. So, like, I didn't even unpack. I got three suitcases over there, but the belt's in there. I had to put it in my carry-on suitcase because I didn't want to put it underneath the plane because... I don't know if someone would have took that thing, you know. <laughs> I, kind of, I would have probably been pissed. Yeah. Did you? Can I ask? Did you? Did you get a chance to say anything to Sergio afterwards? Because I know you had a ton of respect for him going into it. Yeah. Um, just talk, you know. Much respect. He said, "You're uh, you're the champ now." You know. Um, just congrats. 
uh, you know, it's uh, we're both chomping at the same bit to get everything. You know, we're I'm just happy to make money with him. You know, we both made a you know shit ton of money. We fought for a world title fight on one of Bellator's biggest cards of the year. I'm just happy we both got paid. Uh, we both left with no injuries. You know, I'm I'm training already. I think he was at the strip club last night with his family and shit. So like, uh, much respect to him. You know, what I mean, I'm glad that we're not hurt. We're both healthy and. Um, you know, he brought the best out of me. You know, I was very nervous for the fight because I know how dangerous he is, you know? Yeah. He's, um, it's scary to go against those guys in a sense, him and his brother, because the unorthodox techniques they have, the unknown, you know, they have something special when they fight. They make special things happen, and you don't want to be on the other end of that. You turn into, like, a statue, you know? Yeah. I ask you a lot of these questions before the fight, and it's always easier to ask them afterwards, so I'll ask it now. You know, listen, I said this Going into our last interview, I said I believe you're the number one bantamweight in the sport, and that's not meant as a disrespect to anyone in the UFC or other organizations. I just yeah. felt like you were that good. But listen, you had Sergio Pettis, you know, at that point, you know, you were ten days away or whatever, so you had to get through him to kind of, you know, solidify that. Is there not that there was ever a question in your mind? But going on doing what you did to Sergio Pettis, do you feel like that has answered all those questions? If there's a question about who is the number one bantamweight in mixed martial arts, that should have ended that debate. No, I mean, they won't really believe it till I fight all these guys. But you know, it's the same contrary. They got to fight me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's the same thing. Um, I mean, how can they call these other guys the best when they haven't fought me either? So it's the same thing. You know, I mean, I don't think me beating Sergio Pettis is going to warrant everyone to believe that. But it just doesn't matter what you know everyone else believes. It just matters what I believe. You know, the best in the world. And uh, shit. I just know it, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm in the gym. I train with everybody, you know, uh, from 135 to 170. Uh, I get most of my work up weight classes, you know, 130, you know, 145, 155. A lot of tough guys up there in those weight classes. But I feel, um, you know, I, I don't think that me beating Sergio is going to warrant that, though. You know, until I fight those guys, that until I fight them, no one's going to, you know what I mean, give me the credit that um, – I believe uh, I'll one day, you know, one day earn. But for now, I don't really mind. You know, it just matters what I believe, you know. I'm very wealthy. Look, I made a lot of money this year. I'm going to continue to make a lot of money in um, my next few fights uh, next year. And um, I'm just trying to keep my ball rolling, keep my momentum going, keep uh, getting better, keep learning. And eventually, I, I, you know, there will be no doubt. Let's say Chito Vera goes and wins and beats Sean O'Malley, you know. Is he better than me? You know, I mean, uh, it's just bizarre, you know. 19 and 1, 15 finishes. Um, I have wins over a lot of uh, a lot of my guys that I've finished have wins over the top guys in the UFC, you know. Um, Magomed has a win over Yan. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, guys that I've beaten that have wins over these guys. You know, uh, Andre Yule has a win over Jonathan Martinez over there. Um, you know, Bendejas beat Marab years ago. You know what I mean? And look at my boy Marab. He's on a 10-foot win streak. Like, we're all evolving. And we're all getting better. You know what I mean? And um, until those fights happen, like, you know, let's say, until, let's say, me and Sean O'Malley were to fight, you you just don't know. So, but I know and deep down in my head that I can compete with anyone in the world. You know, I know I'm just as dangerous as these guys. So these f fun fantasy matchups, until they happen, they're just kind of, you know, just fun. 
Yeah. I did see the Instagram post, though, you had yesterday where you said uh, people yeah. think this guy could beat me. Come on now. I did see that one. That was pretty good with the Sean O'Malley. I was like, I was like, that's Sean O'Malley, isn't it? And I, I did. I did get a laugh out of that one. So, yeah, we started fighting at the same time. You know, he's nine and two as an amateur. I'm 11 and 0 as an amateur with eight finishes. Um, he's 17, one and one as a pro uh, with 13 finishes. He has wins over two active UFC fighters. I have um, I'm 18 and one with fifth. I mean, 19 and one partner now with 15 finishes. Sergio Pettis had wins over UFC champion Brandon Marino, UFC interim champion Joseph Benavidez. And I put him away in seven minutes. Um, Magomed Magomedov had a win over UFC champion Peter Yan. I put him to sleep, the only one to ever finish him. Rufian Stotts was 19 and one on a tear, 11 fight win streak, seven years, hadn't been beaten. I literally knocked him out with one shot um, in 80 seconds. Uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, multi, multiple time, uh, he was a reigning risen and Bellator champion at one point, fought for the UFC title, only lost in the UFC with Demetrius Johnson. I dominated him, came out and had that 10-8 round in the first round. So, you know, I feel uh, I'm up there with anybody. You know, I just can compete with these guys. So a lot of people are just crediting me, you know, because I'm not over with the three letters over there or whatever, you know, because I won the Bellator world title. But, um, you know, they just don't know. I'm just getting started. I'm 30 years old, and uh, I'm going to get uh, – I mean, I finished 13 out of my last 14 wins. I'm like, watch, I'm going to finish like 18 out of my last 19. I'm just going to run this like five more, six foot more fights in the next like 18 months, and people are going to realize, oh, shit, Patchy Mix is better than everyone <laughs> Absolutely. And I said, like I said, I, I have nothing but respect for guys like Sean O'Malley. Uh, but I think you could do to Sean O'Malley what you did to Sergio Pettis, if I'm being honest. Like, I think that's a matchup you could absolutely win. We're just not going to see it right away. Yeah, you know, I mean, down the line, maybe. But even when that time comes, who knows when it will be? I don't even know if he'll be champion. You know, I really feel like Marab's over there and he's going to end up, you know, being the champ. Uh I trained with that guy a lot. Like I inspired him like 40 rounds last camp, you know, he's tough. Uh, I think he's going to end up, I mean, unless they give Aljo the rematch, which I don't think they're doing. I think Marab could, uh, I think he honestly beats Cejudo, even though I'm team dominance, you know, I think he beats <laughs> Cejudo and then he, um, uh, I think he'll eventually get a shot at the belt over there. You know what I mean? But me, on the other hand, I'm over here. Um, my, I'm lined up. You know what I mean? I just re-signed the contract. Um, I'm just finished a fight on my contract and now, um, you know, news drops. So all those fun fantasy matchups are going to have to be put on hold for a while. Of course, um, you know, I got some business to attend to now over here on my side of the street. Yeah. So, of course, we know the big news that came out today, the PFL purchase Bellator. I'll get to that in one second. Can I just ask you on a, like a broader perspective now that it looks i mean i know there i know the bellator brand is technically going to carry on but let's be honest it's now under a new umbrella you spent so much of your career building up in bellator we talked before you made your bellator debut can i just ask you what bellator has meant to you as an organization whether we're talking about scott coke or mike kogan the team over there again we don't know who else is going to move on but but like can you kind of encapsulate that relationship you had what they meant to you yeah, I had a real good relationship with uh, – I do have still have a real good relationship with Bellator. It's like a family, man. I love them. I love every single last staff member and, um, you know, the the ownership. Um, Mike Hogan, ben, he changed my life, that guy. Uh, I was like a kid. But, man, I was fighting in King of the Cage 10-0 and on a 20-fight win streak. My first fight, he put me in Madison Square Garden. 
I made life-changing money. My mom, my, my whole family was there. He turned me around three months later, put me another fight, put more money in my pocket, then turned me around again, gave me a new contract, flew me to Japan, gave me an opportunity to fight one of the best guys in Tokyo on New Year's. Then after that, I was six minutes in the promotion. He gave me a title shot, you know, life-changing money there. Um, after that made me big ass fights, you know, like I traveled the world, MSG, Tokyo, uh, Ireland. I fought James Gallagher over there. And then they put me in the million dollar tournament, sent me to Hawaii twice, gave me four, all these world champions, um, gave me life-changing money. You know, I can't be uh, grateful enough for these people, you know, um, the promotion in itself. I was eight and uh, nine and one in Bellator with eight finishes. You know, I almost had a perfect run, um, you know, had I put Archuleta away. So, you know, that's where I made my name. It's where, um, you know, I kind of transformed from young Patchy to now who I am. You know, I'm in my prime, 30 years old, and uh, I'm just getting started. So it was the beginning of my career, um, and I'm just looking forward to the future. Yeah, absolutely. So I know this is all happening in real time, you know, in terms of, like, what's going on over there. We mentioned this beforehand when I talked to you about PFL and Bellator, the Bellator, excuse me, PFL doesn't promote a bantamweight division. Like they don't have a bantamweight champion. So your guy, you guys are kind of coming in as the bantamweight division. And we know they're, you know, they said Bellator is going to continue on as its own thing. Bellator champions are going to defend their belts and things like that. Can I just get your thoughts on this? Cause it is kind of a weird one in your situation because you are legitimately in my mind, the number one bantamweight in the sport, but you don't have that option of like the champ versus champ fights. Cause they don't have a bantamweight division. Yeah, you know, it would be cool if they had a dope-ass champion that everyone feared, you know what I mean? And then I could come over there and run his pockets and beat his ass, you know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking, but they don't have that. So, for me, I don't know what, um, I don't know. You know, I kind of look forward to defending my belt. I just got it. I have wins if you look at the rankings. I don't think I could fight anyone, like, six is uh, Sabatello, seven is Leandro Higo, who's lost to Sabatello, eight is Enrique Barzola. You know, those guys have all lost to the guys that are in the top upper echelon of my division. So I have cleared out the division, you know, one through five. Number one, Sergio Pettis. I've beat him. Number two, Rufian Stotts. Number three is Archuleta. Number four is Maga. And number five is Kyoji Horiguchi. So I beat four out of five. There's one guy sitting there. And um, there's only one match, man. There's only one fight. There's only one fight to make. And, uh, you know. I'm, I've been chasing it since the day it happened, and it has to happen. You know what I mean? Why not make me versus Archuleta? Me versus Juan Archuleta, 29 and 4. I'm coming back stronger than ever, and um, I'll show the mistakes. You know, I made mistakes in that first flight that I will never make again. And um, I believe I could put him away. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to fight him. I want to finish him. I want to um, get my uh, write my record correctly again. Yeah, absolutely. I know he, he mentioned that the night of the fight. I know he tweeted it. Yeah, he'd like to get that fight back, and I, I think he's in for it. Obviously, he's on a good run right now, you know, doing the thing with Ryzen, and I know he's got a fight coming up on New Year's Eve, but I think that's the natural fit, right? Like, that's the biggest fight that can be made uh, right now because Archuleta's legit. I know you want that one back, and let's be honest, there's just not a lot of other options. You already beat everybody else. Like, who else would you fight? Sabatello just lost again. Yeah, so like, yeah. Who, like a... who else would I fight? Had Sabatello come through? I mean, Maga submitted Sabatello. Stotts just won. I mean, Stotts and me even make a good fight, too, not trying to sound dumb. Um, it's just I want that one back. 
I mean, necessarily, like, Stotts might even be in the better run because he knocked out Archuleta, you know? Sergio also beat Archuleta for five rounds. People are forgetting this, you know? Archuleta did his work. He went over there and he went to fight uh, in Ryzen. I felt like he fought um, some guys that are a little bit undersized. Those guys aren't really ranked in the world, you know what I mean? He fought guys in the Ryzen to win that belt. I felt that knew how to lose, you know? They have a lot of losses, you know, as opposed to the upper echelon of Bellator. So I feel like he did what was right for his career, you know, and he's making a shit ton of money over there. I'm happy for him. But let's not, let's, you know, not not confuse it. I feel like I've had the tougher, um, the tougher uh, list, of, you know, the tougher schedule. And I feel like that will be the reason why uh, there will be a level difference. You know, I feel like um, because of my, my opponents, I had to rise to a different level that he has. And I feel like um, right now, I feel like, you know, I'm on a different level and I feel like I can win that fight. I feel like I can finish him. So, you know, I feel like for the fans, like you said, um, he has a win over me. You know, who wouldn't want to see that? He's on a four fight win streak. I'm on a six fight win streak. And, uh, you know what I mean? Run it back. Patchy mix one or two letter two. Not uh, last time we fought without no crowd. Like, you know what I mean? No one was even there. And you know how much dangerous, more dangerous I am now? Shit. <laughs> no, Patchy makes that Jackson Wink just started. You know what I mean? I'm here. I'm, I'm way different now. So, you know what I mean? I'm a butcher in there. So I feel, um, you know, imagine that. What if I what if I butchered him and finished him? You know what I mean? Uh, oh, my. You know, I mean, 20 and 1, 16 finishes, Avengers only loss. That would be amazing. And that's a to me, that's a pay-per-view fight. Like, that's a big fight. Like, I know they're oh, doing pay-per-view fight. this year. That's a pay-per-view fight. Yeah, um, it's a huge fight. And much respect to him, you know what I mean? Shit, like, it gets me up at night, you know what I mean? Um, Archuleta's a gangster, too. Shit, 29 and 4. You don't get that high. Like, you don't get that many wins, you know? He's about to come up on his 30th win. He runs down Ascara. I mean, that fight makes sense. But let's say he doesn't. I don't know, you know what I mean? He could go out there. Ascara can come out and catch you. That guy can knock you out, so... You know, he does his job, gets it done. He should be calling for Patchy Mix. You know, if I were him, I'd be saying my name every chance he got. He's the only one to <laughs> kind of squeak by. And I don't really, you know, I feel like he survived me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had him in a very, a lot of danger a lot of times. I used a lot of energy. And then, you know, I, I just felt like it was, it wasn't my best performance. And I feel like he really fought to his level, you know? And um, for me, I feel like I win that fight. You know, I don't know, man. I feel like I could win that fight nine times out of ten, you know. So I would honestly go in that with the same amount of confidence. You know, I'd probably go in that with more confidence than I've gone in with any of my fights, you know. I truly believe that um, it's fate that that happened, and now it's fate that we've – our stars are um, – they may align if he wins on the 31st. Yeah, and 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 this I don't mean this is not to discount his win. I don't want to sound like I am, but you know it was what three two. You know the rounds. Like you know, if you want to say it scored by yeah. rounds, three two. It wasn't like he was. You know, it wasn't like he did to you what Pettis did to Pitbull or anything like that. Like it was three two. If you want to argue three two, like that's how close it, it was. It like, wasn't like, you know. He beat me in a, a much more narrow uh, decision than Pettis beat him. You know, like Pettis won five four to one and five to zero on the scorecards um me and him had much closer fight and not to mention the positions i was in like let's just say you give a 30 year old patchy mix those same positions and i mean he's a little older himself now um could he survive that you know i mean i'm a different um 
as Horaguchi survived me when I was on his back years ago. You know, Pettis proved last night he couldn't, I mean, on Friday. And that's because I'm ever evolving. Like, you know, I'm very, very, very um, progressed. I mean, if you look at me from the Archuleta fight till now, I, I truly believe it would take me about two minutes to um, put myself, you know, if I were to go against myself. It'd take me about two minutes to finish that version of Patchy Mix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I ask you, you mentioned, obviously, we know before this all happened, you did sign a new contract with Bellator. And obviously, the, the, the contracts, everything are switching over. You got a great management team, of course, the great Ali Abdelaziz um, as your manager. Can I imagine now that you are moving over into this new deal, like you are being paid well, like that is part of it. Like You are, oh, you are yeah, being taken man. care of. Oh, yeah, I'm getting paid. A, I mean, I'm getting paid a shit ton of money. Um, I got paid a shit ton of money on Friday. Um, you know, I signed a new deal. That was my first one on my new deal. And, um, I got, you know, I got paid out very, very, very good. And, um, you know, as a champion should, as the best, uh, as one of the best bantamweights in the world should, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I think like it gets lost because, Listen, as a fantasy matchmaker, Patchy, would I love to see you go over and fight a Sean O'Malley? Of course I would. Like, it'd be fun to settle that debate, right? But the reality is, like, your contract where it's at right now, like, you're going to get paid very handsomely. And ultimately, while the accomplishments, legacy, those things are all great, you got a family to provide for. You got a family, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no like, matter and, where you go, though, at the level I'm at, no matter where you go, you're going to get paid. I mean, I'm the best in the world. So had I be over there, I'd be getting paid as well, too. You know what I mean? Um, and I be fighting the biggest fights too. So it's just, you know, um, that's just how business worked at the time. And, um, you know, like I'm, I'm very grateful to defend this belt. I'm very grateful to earn this belt. And, um, I look forward to defending it. You know, I want to be an active champion. That's the one big thing with this whole PFL deal. And with my contract, um, when I had signed this deal, I, I believe it was, uh, there was, um, like a time on it, you know, a time stamp, like, um, so many months, you know, I don't know exactly the time of which the duration of the contract is, but I knew it was for a certain amount of fights and a certain amount of time. And I really want to stay active. You know, I would like to fight as a champion. You know, I want to fight three times a year. Um, you know, I want to fight like that. The similar how I did in the tournament for um, Bellator last year, I want to fight actively and I want to be an active champion that makes active title defenses because um, I stay in the gym anyways. And I feel like when I'm active, um, and I compete, I feel like that's my best self. You know, I feel like when I sit for eight months, seven months, I get stagnant and uh, tired. You know, I'd like to a fight in between. Yeah. I remember having this talk with Michael Chandler years ago when he was coming up to free agency. And at the time, he had re-signed with Bellator. Uh, but at the time we were asked, I was just talking to a question. He said, you know, I do feel like there's going to be coming time where I feel like I have to go to the UFC just to kind of silence the the critics, so to speak, and, and, and do my thing over there. And obviously Michael's found success in the UFC, things like that. Is there any part of you that like, do you feel like at some point you have to do the UFC just to silence those, not the critics necessarily, but like prove, you know, to get those fights or, or would you be completely satisfied? Like, Hey, if they're paying you a boatload of money and, and you're having fights you're enjoying. Like, does it matter that you ever go to the UFC? I don't know, man. I don't I live day to day. You know, I just, um, I don't know right now. You know, I just, I just want to stay active and fight, you know, of course, you know, I want to be, I just want the world to know what we know, you know, that my team that, I mean, I, I train in all these gyms. Every coach knows how great I am. Every coach knows because they see me roll with, they see me grapple. They see me spar. They see me go with guys all the way up to like 170 and they see me dominate them. You know what I mean? I mean like very, very high level people too. 
So it's like I want to get recognized in the notoriety, but I'm I'm not a big like fathead in this shit. I don't really have ego with it. I don't need to like. I almost like sliding around invisible and making mass amount of money and not really <laughs> having to deal with all that other bullshit. But I know that the overhead. I mean, for the for Bellator, the the star the star part and where you could be, let's say when Bellator didn't merge yet, it was only it would be capped. You know, you could only get to a ceiling. Obviously, in the UFC, that ceiling's so fucking huge. You know, like if you're a huge star, you can make five million dollars a fight. And who's to say that I'm not a fucking huge star? You know what I mean? Because I finish every single person. So I feel like now with this merger, I feel at least Bellator's ceiling is going to go super high because, I mean, you see the likes of Jake Paul and uh, Francis Ngannou. And, I mean, J- Francis Ngannou potentially, or Jake Paul potentially wants to fight Diaz for like a $15 million pay-per-view card or something, $15 million. Like, I could be on that card, you know what I mean? Shit, who knows, man? Maybe I could be the co-main event to that MMA card, you know? I'm a killer, uh, depending on the opponent and stuff, so... It's like the ceiling is very cool to see. Like now that the merger's there, I feel like Bellator is like where our star power could be. If you want to be a star, you're um, now that you put the two promotions together, I feel like your ceiling could be a lot higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, man, that $5 million payday, you could absolutely get that in the PFL now, too. Like I said, they're paying $15 million to Nate Diaz. Yeah, Who says Patchy Mix isn't worth $5, $10 million? Yeah, I'm thinking like, you know, they, they're paying this crazy money, and I think it's great for. Um, you know, uh, one sex art. No, I think it's great for like uh, just business and stuff to see it. But um, yeah, you know, to be a part of these special events, you know, pay per view events. I think that's what I'm interested in. That's what I want to be a part of. And I just want to grow my name. You know, um, I just want to be promoted and grow my name. You know, nineteen and one, fifteen finishes. Um, I want to be the face of bantamweight. If um, since I'm outside the UFC, I want to be the face of bantamweight outside the UFC. You know what I mean? I want them to put some uh, put some promotion behind me and um, promote me as dangerous as I am. You know, um, no one has these credentials, man. You know, I'm 19 and one with 15 finishes. That dude over there on the other side of the street, 17, one and one with 13 finishes. And look at his opponents. He only has two wins over active UFC fighters, and he beat uh, Peter Yan by split decision. Peter Yan loses another fight, mind you. He might be uh, getting cut. And be over with me, I might take his back and strangle him. <laughs> so you know what I mean? You better win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, listen, you mentioned your guy Marab. I have a huge amount. I love Marab Dewalish, really, man. It bums me out he didn't get the title fight. Can I ask just out of curiosity, uh, do you think Cheeto beats Sean? Do you think that could happen when they fight in a couple months? I'm sounding like a hater. I don't know. Um I think like I think Sean could catch him. I think he's like I don't know, man. I respect Chito Vera. He's a fighter's fighter, like a fighter. Shit, I would fight him too, man. I'm a fighter too, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I respect him. But um, I don't know. I don't know if Sean will capitalize on it, you know what I mean? I don't know how it goes, you know. I think that Cheeto's dangerous enough to put him away again probably. You know what I mean? He might kick him in the legs and put him away. He might be a little more durable. Shit, I'm durable as hell too, you know what I mean? That's what I think about. Like I think that he might be too durable to get put away by that. Sean O'Malley's like a counterpuncher boxer style. Like he wants you to, he just wants to pull across you. That's really it. He wants to like use his boxing to lure you in, to get you to overextend. Like he's doing these teeps to get you to overextend and shit. Like I see his style, but um, I don't know if Cheeto will overextend. And um, he's already hurt him. 
Like, all he's got to do is be patient, kick him in the legs, be patient. Um, I think that, yeah, I think Chito, I would favor him to win that fight, that specific fight, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I love what you said. You said it during the press conference last week. You said that, you know, uh, you had nothing but praise for a guy like Marab Duwalishvili, and you said, you know, we did seven or eight championship fights, you know, getting you ready for yeah. for Sergio Pettis. You said, I have no doubt he's going to be a UFC champion. So I know in the back of your mind, like, you're rooting for Marab to get there and do that thing because I think he is. Like, in my opinion, he should be yeah, in man, the fight. Yeah, Marab's a boogeyman, bro. Um, if you don't got – I mean, if you don't have something to stop him from shooting in, then, well, I mean – and you might you I mean you better have the best guillotine in the entire world, and he'll still get through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he'll still get through it a few times, you know, multiple times. You know what I mean? So Marab is like a fucking machine, dude. He's like a um, he is. That's what his name is. He's like a snowball going downhill that's only getting bigger when he starts fighting. It's a worst nightmare. Like, could you imagine him trying to take those two guys down that are fighting for the title? Could you imagine that? He takes them down, or they can't stuff a few takedowns, and he gets them dog tired like he did Peter Yan. Like he made Peter Yan look like his nephew. Like literally, <laughs> he could have put him in a booster chair and made him. Uh, he could have put him in a booster seat in the back of the seat. I mean, in the back of the car, like a child would. That's how he made him look because he just got him so tired. He shot forty eight times on the guy. <laughs> I sat there and I was going crazy front row for this fight. You know, I was so happy for Marab, but um. Marab's wrestling then sets up his uh, striking, and he might not have like the most clean, polished striking, but his wrestling gets you so tired that good luck trying to defend yourself. You know what I mean? Um, if you're not uh, a specialist, you know what I mean. And I don't think those two guys in the that are fighting for the titles are. You know, I think that like Marab's toughest fight in that division would probably be Aljo because they both know each other. They both have styles that clash with each other and um i think it'd be like a chess match but when he goes against like sean o'malley or uh chito vera i truly think that Marab could break them yeah absolutely i remember years ago i was down at american top team and i got to go to a sparring session i watched uh jorge masvidal and dustin poirier spar now they were really good friends close and at that point jorge was a welterweight but it was fun it was fun to watch those two guys spar just being like a fly on the wall i gotta come to vegas yeah. sometime and see the sparring session with you and Marab. i think that'd be a lot of fun to watch yeah we've probably sparred 150 rounds man he's dope <laughs> um we spar all the time him uh, you know, I train with a lot of guys, actually, that are um, bantamweights, you know what I mean? I sparred a lot with Rob Font this camp. He's looking real nice right now. He was good. Uh, he was the only one to beat Sergio, the last one to beat Sergio. So he came out to Vegas, and we chopped it up. We had, like, throw ego aside, just, you know, good-ass rounds. Um, Both, you know, trying new shit, both trying to get better, both working stuff. It was, like, good pace you know me and him worked me and Ke calvin cater worked this camp um spar a lot with rojas um and i spar a lot with javid and farad basharat those guys uh 15 and 0 and 12 and 0 those dudes are tough as hell you know they're gonna be they'll be in the top 15 in the world you know in the next 12 months i'm telling you these guys are very good especially um you know, both of them have different styles. I think Javid's more, he has more wins in the UFC right now. He's 15 and 0. I think he'll creep up a little bit sooner than Farad will, his younger brother. But Farad, man, he's something special, dude. Um, I think people are going to really see uh, Farad Basharat's name come out in the next 12 months. Absolutely. They're both beasts. And I know we talked before, your guy Umar. Umar's coming back from the shoulder injury when he's back. That's another yeah, one added to that mix. 
Yeah, I don't train with Umar as much as I train with those guys because me and those two are from Extreme Couture. You know what I mean? We just are there all the time. And then me and Marab are just – I look at it as I can train with these guys because I'm not on that side of the street, you know? So yeah. I personally get the best of both worlds because I could train with all these guys and I'm not over there. You know, I'm contractually obliged over here, so it's like no one feels this threat. So we can all work together and there's no ego, you know what I mean? Like some of these guys – um, I don't think they train with each other because they could, could potentially fight. You know what I mean? And then it kind of like, they don't get the, I kind of get the best work, you know what I mean? At the weight class. Cause I could work with everyone. There's a, there's a very big variety for me. Yeah, absolutely. I don't train absolutely. with any Bellator 135 hunters. Yeah. And obviously you're also, yeah. you're, you're getting, uh, you're getting Tatiana ready for her own title in the near future. Cause she's going to be a champion very soon. I have a feeling. Yeah, she'll be champion. She's, um, I mean, they don't count her fights on the Ultimate Fighter, but if anyone really knows, Tatiana should be ten and zero in the UFC. You know, she's seven and zero in the UFC with five finishes, and she's ten and zero if you count the Ultimate Fighter with seven finishes. I mean, that's just as many fights as I have in Bellator. I'm nine and one. She's ten and zero in the UFC. Um, almost finished. She has a seventy percent finish rate. Almost, you know, what I mean, that's unheard of. She has three wins over former UFC world champions, Jessica Andrade. Um, Carla Esparza, she finished both of them, and she has a finish win over the current 125-pound champion, Alexa Grasso, and she finished her in the first round. So um, people are going to start recognizing and realizing um, how great she is, and um, just one more finish, that's all we need. If uh, Whoever they give her next, she will finish, and then she will be 8-0, and she will be on the trajectory to be the best women's fighter there was in the UFC. Um, she had to take four years off, bar you, you know, mind you. She tore every knee, uh, every ligament in her knee um, and had multiple surgeries in it. Had she not took those four years off, where would Tatiana Suarez be? What would her record be? You know what I mean? She would have won. She would be the most decorative UFC fighter there was. You know, she would be right up there with when Kayla Harrison was 15-0 and 0 and, that you know, everyone was speaking so high praise of her. Tatiana would be right there. And the tra trajectory might have changed, but um, it's never uh, altered or flawed. You know, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen in 2024. You know, we're going to continue this run that she's on, and we're going to just um, – we're running the last 100 meters here, and uh, we're going to sprint to that finish line, and she's going to finish this next girl. And when she gets that opportunity at the title, she will finish whoever has that title. And she will make it relatively look easy just the way I did because the way that Tatiana trains – and um, the, the the belt doesn't the belt doesn't determine uh, if she's the best in the world. She already is the best in the world at 115 pounds. Someone else just has the belt right now. But if she were to match up with that whoever has the belt right now today, Tatiana will beat him from pillar to post five rounds all day of the week, and she probably finishes them too. So um, we're just getting started, and uh, she's healthy. She's happy right now. And um, she's going to be a motherfucker, honestly. She's going to be a motherfucker to deal with next. Absolutely. That's why I was joking with you before the fight. I said, you guys are going to have to like get a new display case. I know you don't display your titles, but I was like, you guys are going to have to buy some extra hardware for all the belts you're going to have around there. And I say the same thing about you as again, nothing but absolutely, I have nothing but respect for guys like Sean O'Malley. Just because he's got the UFC title doesn't mean he's the best in the world. Yeah, you know, um, but he is the best in his, uh, I mean, he might not be the best in his league because he's only fought two of the guys, so. You know what I mean? Where's the other 12 or 13? There's 15 guys ranked in the world, right? How come he didn't fight any of those guys? 
There's a reason why he's only fought short guys, too. They never matched him up against anyone his height or like me. You know what I mean? He also had a fight, fucking close fight with Andre Sakama. You know, I don't even know, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to sound stupid either, but like, I don't really have that many close fights. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm normally dominating finishing all my fights. So it's like, I see it. You know, he's over there. He's the best of his league, I think. You know, right now he's got the belt. I'm the best in my league, so it's cool to see. And then Archuleta's over in Ryzen. He's got that one. And then um, I think Demetrius Johnson. I don't know if uh, really how one works, you know. I think, like, Demetrius Johnson's probably the 125-pound champion, but they do it at 135, you know what I'm saying? Like the hydration clause. Because I think uh, Fabricio Andrade is, like, another band weight out there that's very, very dangerous. You know, he's a one champion. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they have the weird weight class thing, so technically I guess it would yeah. be that. Like, yeah, I'm trying so. to think of, like, the, the major um, band weights. You know, there's, like you said, it's not just one that's – the best could you imagine a grand prix of all of us in one you know who would come out on top it wouldn't i wouldn't say necessarily it would just be the you know sean o'malley the ufc champion you know i think any any of us other guys could compete with him whether it be myself archuleta demetrius johnson sergio stats all those guys yeah even well, more there's a, if there's a uh if there's a grand prix in that one let me just go ahead and say at a time i got my money on patchy mix i'm just saying uh patchy it is uh yeah I, is, i'm known for winning those things exactly exactly well patchy again man congratulations on an amazing performance an amazing victory enjoyed i know you're already back in the gym but man enjoy the victory you earned it you deserve it can't wait to see what comes for you in 2024 and beyond and uh, i appreciate you doing this as always i know we said we would do the interview right after the fight and here we are so i appreciate yeah. the time enjoy the victory man and uh, give tatiana my best i can't wait to see her back in action and we will talk soon i'm sure yeah, and big thank you to um, everyone behind the scenes at Bellator. You know what I mean? They made the show run. Big thank you to Scott Coker. Um, big thank you to Mike Kogan. Uh, Mike Kogan's the one that found me, man. This guy, you know, I was a diamond in the dirt, and he found me, changed my life. So I'm very fucking appreciative of him. And um, thank you to Ali and Dominance, man. You know, these guys, uh, whatever's to be held, you know, this Bellator PFL, whatever's to happen next, I'm just thankful for uh, all the staff. I want to... Um, you know, they make the show run, and they're like family to me, so I'm very appreciative of, of all of them. Absolutely. Patchy, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Enjoy the win. Congratulations again, and let's talk soon. Thank you, brother. I'll see you. Bye. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 